Hello everyone. Welcome to part two of Mice and Men. Uh, I'll be disappointing those of you who've been taught by me before by not dressing as Curly's wife for this bit. But you will meet pretty much all the main characters. Now, there aren't that many characters in Of Mice and Men that you can actually be tested on. And the beautiful thing about English GCSE literature is that basically you will... You know, there's a limited amount of things that they can ask you. They can ask you about themes or characters or relationships, and the relationships bit you will know if you know the characters. And there's not many characters in any of the books you should have for English literature that you can actually be tested on. So there's only three in Heroes. There's what? There's the the Burlings and the Inspector in Inspector Calls. Don't bother swatting up an Edna, please. And then in Of Mice and Men, yeah. There's mainly... George Lenny and the people we'll meet today. So about six characters. So that, that's quite nice. Should we crack on? I'll apologise in advance. I always apologise for the swearing. Although I've got to say in my personal opinion, it's quite mild. <laughs> so I don't think it's that bad. But uh, frankly, a different type of apology for the racist language. And we will have racist language. So I apologise in, in advance about that. Um, it's... Steinbeck wants to show what society is like then. He wants to show how cruel people are to each other and he wants to be realistic and therefore he uses racist language because he is setting the atmosphere of that's what they're like on the ranch. They're not to be concerned about other people's sensibilities and maybe reflecting as well, context, remember, what attitudes were like in the 1930s. Um, sadly, we can't pretend that we've overcome it now, can we? Goodness me, sadly not. But certainly in the 30s, those sort of attitudes were more prevalent i guess remember this is only 65 years after the american civil war ended and ostensibly the main cause of it was the abolition of slavery so you can you can change the law but you can't say change attitudes as quickly so anyway should we crack on remember last time lenny and george were uh i was gonna say in the jungle then I'm addled this morning i just set myself up and i was nice and cozy and ready to go and then i thought where's my book don't worry, I've got it. Um, sorry, right. So Lenny and George were um, by in the brush, sleeping the night. Uh, that means they're late to turn up for work because remember the bus driver dropped them off in the wrong place. And so George decided they'd settle down for the night. So they're going to have to go to work now and explain. And remember, what does Lenny have to remember, everyone? Not going to say a thing. Yeah. Okie dokie then. Oh, the other thing, remember, I will... Uh, go over questions and comments afterwards, okay? I might even jump in on Kyle and Dylan's turtle versus tortoise controversy. I thought was more of a pigeon man myself. Evening of a hot day started the little wind to moving among the leaves. The shade climbed up the hills towards the top. I've read that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm on the wrong page. Told you I was addled this morning. There we are. Right, so... They've slept the night where the rabbits are like little sculptured grey stones. I like that image. Okay, and now we're in the bunkhouse. The bunkhouse was a long rectangular building. Inside, the walls were whitewashed and the floor unpainted. In three walls, there were small square windows and in the fourth, a solid door with a wooden latch. Against the walls were eight bunks, five of them made up with blankets and the other three showing their burlap ticking. Over each bunk, there was nailed an apple box with the opening forward so it made two shelves of the personal belongings of the occupants of the bunk. And these shelves were loaded of little articles, soap and talcum powder, 
razors, and those Meston magazines ranchmen love to read and scoff at and secretly believe. And there were medicines on the shelves and little vials, combs, and from nails on the box sides, a few neckties. Near one wall, there was a black cast iron stove, its stovepipe going straight up through the ceiling. In the middle of the room stood a big square table, littered with playing cards, and around it were grouped boxes for the players to sit on. So they, this is very, very, very basic. Whitewashed walls, they're just wooden walls with a bit of whitewash on. Um, it's completely unpainted. The small windows, the beds are very basic, and some of them have got the stuffing showing coming out of the, the mattresses. Uh, crates hammered to the walls to make shelves for people to put things on. And they've only got small amounts of belongings because these guys are basically homeless, drifting around from ranch to ranch with their life's possessions on their backs now. So, yeah, it's very basic. Sip of water. Ah, let's meet some characters. I have come dressed as candy for the occasion. At about 10 o'clock in the morning, the sun threw a bright dust-laden bar through one of the side windows, and in and out of the beam, flies shot like rushing stars. The wooden latch raised, the door opened, and a tall, stoop-shouldered old man came in. He was dressed in blue jeans, and he carried a big push broom in his left hand. Behind him came George, and behind George, Lenny. Boss was expecting you last night, the old man said. You were sore as hell when you wasn't here to go out this morning. He pointed with his right arm, and out of the sleeve came a round, stick-like wrist, but no hand. You can have them two beds there, he said, indicating two bunks near the stove. George stepped over and threw his blankets down on the burlap sack of straw that was a mattress. He looked into the box shelf and then picked a small yellow can from it. Say, what the hell's this? I don't know, said the old man. Says positively kills lice, roaches, and other scourges. What the hell kind of bed you giving us anyways? We don't want no pants, rabbits. The old swamper shifted his broom and held it between his elbow and his side while he held out his hand for the can. He studied the label carefully. Tell you what, he said finally. Last guy that had this bed was a blacksmith. Hell of a nice fella, and as clean a guy as you want to meet. Used to wash his hands even after we ate. Then how come he got greybacks? George was working up a slow anger. Lenny put his bindle on the neighbouring bunk and sat down. He watched George with open mouth. Tell you what, said the old swamper, this here blacksmith, name of Whitey, was the kind of guy that would put that stuff around, even if it wasn't no bugs, just to make sure, see? Tell you what he used to do. At meals he'd peel his boiled potatoes and he'd take out every little spot, no matter what kind, before he'd eat it. And if there was a red splotch in an egg, he'd scrape it off. Finally quit about the food. This kind of guy he was. Clean. He used to dress up Sundays even when he wasn't going no place. Put on a necktie even, and then set in the bunkhouse. I ain't so sure, said George skeptically. Why'd you say he quit for? The old man put the yellow can in his pocket, and he rubbed his bristly white whiskers with his knuckles. Why, he just quit, the way a guy will. Says it was the food. Just wanted to move. Didn't give no other reason but the food. Just says, give me my time one night, the way any guy would. George lifted this tick and looked underneath it. He leaned over and inspected the sacking closely. Immediately, Lenny got up and did the same with his bed. Finally, George seemed satisfied. He unrolled his bindle and put things on the shelf, his razor and bar of soap, his comb and bottle of pills, his liniment and leather wristband. 
Then he made his bed up neatly with blankets. The old man said, I guess the boss will be out here in a minute. He was sure burned when he wasn't here this morning. Come riding when we was eating breakfast and says, Where the hell's them new men? And he gave the stable buck hell too. Uh, apologies, like I mentioned at the start, he is the first example of racist language. I do apologise. George patted a wrinkle out of his bed and then sat down. Give the bit hit stable buck hell? He asked. Sure. You see, the stable buck's a nigger. Nigger, huh? Yeah, nice fella too. Got a crooked back where a horse kicked him. The boss gives him hell when he's mad, but the stable book don't give a damn about that. He reads a lot. Got books in his room. What kind of guy's the boss? George asked. Well, he's a pretty nice fella. He's pretty mad sometimes, but he's pretty nice. Tell you what, know what he done Christmas? Bring a gallon of whiskey right in here and says, drink hardy, boys. Christmas comes but once a year. Hell, he did. Whole gallon? Yes, sir. Jesus, we had fun. They let the nigga come in that night. Little Skinner, mean a smitty, took after the nigga. Done pretty good, too. Guys wouldn't let him use his feet. So the nigga got him. If he could have used his feet, Smitty said he would have killed the nigga. The guy said on account of the nigga's got a crooked back. Smitty can't use his feet. He paused in relish of the memory. After that, the boys went into sell dad and raised hell. I didn't go in there. I ain't got the poop no more. So, okay, we've met Candy. And Candy is... <clears throat> Sorry. We have a thought on me today. Candy's the swamper, so he's the guy who cleans up in the ranch. He's an old man, he's only got one hand. So you've seen all this, we will see issues of prejudice about Candy, both in terms of age and disability. Um, he seems friendly. There's that casual, horrible racism about crooks. Uh, Candy actually speaks about crooks pleasantly. Nice fella, too. Um, and in a way, that's a scary type of sort of casual racism, isn't it, really? It just feels acceptable to use such a word to describe crooks. He's not even using it as an attack or an insult. He's just seeing it as that's the way you, you say it, which is a, you know, shows racism is ingrained in society then, doesn't it? It's not used knowing it's a bad word. It's used casually as if it's just the right word. So that's a different form of racism, isn't it? Crooks clearly is an outsider, keeps himself to himself, got books in his room. He sounded odd, that, didn't he? He reads, he's got books in his room. The others haven't. That tells us something about the education of the people there. Um, Crooks is allowed in once at Christmas, but only to have a fight. <laughs> so almost for their entertainment. But anyway, back to Candy as well. Um, yeah, so he's, we'll, we'll learn more about him in a, in a little bit. We see the bad conditions George is concerned that um, the bed's dirty and he might get pants rabbits. Ugh. Might get infested if he sleeps on the dirty mattress. But Candy's managed to calm him down. He mentions the boss as well. And we'll meet the boss in a moment. But don't get too attached to the boss. He only appears the once in the book. You won't get asked questions about him. We could get an extract question on when they meet the boss. But that's the only time they meet him. We don't have to really know him intimately as a character. Okay. Lenny was just finishing making his bed. The wooden latch raised again and the door opened. A little stocky man stood in the open doorway. He wore blue jean trousers, a flannel shirt, a black unbuttoned vest and a black coat. His thumbs were stuck in his belt on each side of a square steel buckle. On his head was a soiled brown Stetson hat and he wore high-heeled boots and spurs to prove he was not a labouring man. Okay, chaps, it's time for me to move around a bit. Scary thought. This is the boss. 
the boss is dressed in a way which shows his authority. When it says vest, it's not in the British sense, it's a bit weird, because he's dressed up smart. But with a vest on top, very nice. It's not that. Uh, vest, in American dialect, would be a waistcoat. So he's dressed up quite smart. He's got his boots on to show he's not a working man. He also, Steinbeck's description of him is really interesting, because he describes him as being stocky. I'm stocky. I'm not massively tall. Uh, I'm wide, I'm wide in this direction as well, but I'm not referring to that in this sense. He's a, he's, but he's a small, stocky, wide sort of man. And he stands, oh, let's shift this webcam down a bit so you can see properly. Oh God, I'm gonna regret this. He stands sort of a solid pose. He's got his thumbs either side of his belt buckle. So he's standing there like with authority. You know how like a strong teacher will come in and won't start shouting at you necessarily, but will walk in and stare at you. And you think, ooh, better behave. That sort of authority is what we're trying to get across. And I think the stockiness adds to that. So a sense of like a little square, strong man with power. Yeah? Like uh, like Shakiri for Liverpool, the atomic cube uh, the atomic cube. He's square and compact and strong. Contrast that, if you think about comedy characters, no, oh gosh, okay, I'm going a bit, well, not, some of these will be a bit old-fashioned, I apologise, ask your parents, look on Google, I believe that's good. Um, comedy characters can, are often used, use their sort of tall, thin lankiness for comic effects, John Cleese, Basil Fawlty and Fawlty Towers, Curtin in um, this country. Uh, Mackenzie Crook, what's his character's name? Gareth, is it? In uh, The Office. Tall, thin comedy characters who look a bit gangly and a little strange. Peter Crouch, um, they maybe lack authority. Basil Fawlty runs a hotel. He does not, though, have authority. His, his little wife has the authority. Um, and then, likewise in this, this guy's stocky. He's got authority. Press red button and I'll tell the story of um, the head teacher in when I was doing teacher training, who was stocky and the most terrifying man I've ever seen in my life. There is no red button. I'm winding you up. Message me. No, don't mess. Please don't message me. Okay, so here he is, this guy standing in the doorway. The old swamper looked quickly at him and then shuffled to the door, rubbing his whiskers with his knuckles as he went. He's scared of me. Them guys just come, he said, and shuffled past the boss and out the door. Remember, they're late, aren't they? The boss stepped into the room with the short, quick steps of a fat-legged man. I wrote Murray and Reddy, I wanted two men this morning. You got your work slips? George reached into his pocket and produced the slips and handed them to the boss. It wasn't Murray and Reddy's fault, it says right here on the slip that you was to be here for work this morning. George looked down at his feet. Let's try to give us a bum steer, he said. Yet we had to walk ten miles. Says he was here when we wasn't. We couldn't get no rides in the morning. The bus squint the bus. The bus. The boss squinted his eyes. Well, I had to send out the green team's short two buckers. Won't do any good to go out now till after dinner. He pulled his time book out of his pocket and opened it where a pencil was stuck between the leaves. George scowled meaningfully at Lenny, and Lenny nodded to show that he understood. Remember, not gonna say a thing. The boss licked his pencil. What's your name? George Milton. What's yours? George said. His name's Lenny Small. The names were entered in the book. Let's see, this is the 20th, noon the 20th. He closed the book. Where you guys been working? Up around Weed, said George. You too, to Lenny. 
Yeah, him too, said George. The boss pointed a playful finger at Lenny. He ain't much of a talker, is he? Nah, he ain't, but he's sure the hell a good worker. Strong as a bull. Lenny smiled to himself. Strong as a bull, he repeated. George scowled at him and Lenny dropped his head in shame at having forgotten. The boss said suddenly, listen, small. Lenny raised his head. What can you do? In a panic, Lenny looked for, at George for help. He can do anything you tell him, said George. He's a good skinner. He can wrestle grain bags, drive a cultivator. He can do anything. Just give him a try. The boss turned to George. Why don't you let him answer? Why are you trying to put him, what are you trying to put over? George broke in loudly. Oh, I ain't saying he's bright. He ain't. But I say he's a goddamn good worker. He can put up a 400-pound bail. The boss deliberately put the little book in his pocket. He hooked his thumbs in his belt and squinted one eye nearly closed. See, what you selling? Huh? I said, what stake you got on this guy? You taking his pay away from him? No, of course I ain't. Why you think I'm selling him out? Well, I never seen one guy take so much trouble for another guy. I just like to know what your interest is. George said, he's my cousin. I told his old lady I'd take care of him. He got kicked in the head by a horse when he was a kid. He's all right, just ain't bright, but he can do anything you tell him. The boss turned half away. Well, God knows he don't need any brains to buck barley bags. But don't you try to put anything over, Milton. I got my eye on you. Why's you quitting weed? Job was done, said George promptly. What kind of job? We, we was digging the cesspool. All right, but don't try to put nothing over. Because you can't get away with nothing. I've seen wise guys before. Going out with the green teams after dinner. They're picking up barley at the threshing machine. Go out with Slim's team. Slim? Yeah. Big, tall Skinner. You'll see him at dinner. He turned abruptly and went to the door, but before he went out, he turned and looked for a long moment at the two men. When the sound of his footsteps had died away, George turned on Lenny. So he wasn't going to say a word. He was going to leave your big flapper shut and let me do the talking. Damn near lost us the job. Lenny stared helplessly at his hands. I, I forgot, George. Yeah, you forgot. You always forget, and I got to talk you out of it. He sat down heavily on his bunk. Now he's got his eye on us. Now he got to be careful, not being no slips. You keep your big flapper shut after this. He felt morosely silent. George, what do you want now? I, I wasn't kicked in the head with no horse, was I, George? Be a damn good thing if you was, George said viciously. Save everybody a hell of a lot of trouble. You said I was your cousin, George. Well, that was a lie, and I'm damn glad it was. If I was a relative of yours, I'd shoot myself. He stopped suddenly, stepped to the open front door, and peered out. Say, what the hell are you doing listening? The old man came slowly into the room. He had his broom in his hand, and at his heels there walked a drag-footed sheepdog, grey of muzzle and with pale, blind old eyes. The dog struggled lamely to the side of the room and lay down grunting softly to himself and licking his grizzled, moth-eaten coat. The swamper watched him until he was settled. Oh, I wasn't listening. I was just standing in the shade a minute, scratching my dog. He just now finished swamping out the wash house. He was poking your big ears into our business, George said. I don't like nobody to get nosy. The old man looked uneasily from George to Lenny and then back. I'll just come here, he said. I didn't hear nothing you guys were saying. I was interested in nothing you were saying. A guy on a ranch don't never listen, nor he don't ask no questions. Damn right he don't, said George, slightly mollified. Not if he wants to stay working wrong, long. 
was reassured by the Swampers' defense. Come on in and sit down a minute, he said. That's a hell of an old dog. Before we get on to the dog. Um, okay, so they've seen the boss and they've got away with the boss, with, with being late. He's talked his way through it. Um, so, <laughs> sorry. And then we know now that George and Lenny aren't related. We know Lenny's not being kicked in the head by a horse. That's the question on everyone's mind. Um, <laughs> that's how I always, when I meet a stranger, that's one of my first questions. Hello, what's your name? How do you do? Where are you from? Have you been kicked in the head by a horse? So, um, oh, well, certainly I've been asked that a lot myself. But it was a donkey. The conversation then, it's interesting, this this answer soften, aren't they, to, to Candy? Candy wants to be friendly. Friendship and relationships is massive in this book. Steinbeck's point will be that people are selfish and self-obsessed in times of crisis. We've kind of seen that around us now, aren't we? Hello, hoarders. Um, and so the same with this, people looking out for themselves and failing to care about other people, have empathy for other people. The But they're starting to soften towards Candy and there's a relationship going here. I would argue that after George and Lenny, the strongest relationship in this book is Candy and his dog. Which is, it's a sweet relationship. But yeah, just have, just have a look at it. And see, I'll come back to the comments afterwards. But I can see, oh, Ruben and Kyla having a top quality uh, uh, conversation about stuff. Oh, and David as well. Um, talking about, calling people by the last name back then. I want to have a little think about that. That's a brilliant question, David. Are people, but like I said, Steinbeck's trying to say that people aren't close. So perhaps he's partly doing that by them not using first names to each other. Let's think, we never learn Crux's first name. We never learn Candy's first name. I guess Candy's a nickname. Crux could be because the crooked back. I don't think it is, actually, though. Um, Curly is a nickname. So I suppose nicknames, but yeah. We know George Lenny's first names, but that's, that's it, isn't it? Use of names is quite interesting, as we'll see in the best with Curly's wife. Anyway. Let's go on a bit more. We're talking about this. Just met the dog. Yeah, he's asking about the dog. Yeah. So George said, "That's a hell of an old dog." Yeah, I had him ever since he was a pup. God, he was a god, the good sheep dog when he was younger. He stood his broom against the wall and he rubbed his white bristled cheek with his knuckles. How would you like the boss? He asked. Pretty good. Seemed all right. He's a nice fella. The swamp is what agreed. You got to take him right. At that moment, a young man came into the bunkhouse, a thin young man with a brown face. Again, it's tan. It's not an issue for racism. With brown eyes and a head of tightly curled hair. He wore a work glove on his left hand and like the boss, he wore high-heeled boots. See my old man? He asked. The swamper asked, said, It was here just a minute ago, Curly. Went over to the cookhouse, I think. I'll try and catch him, said Curly. His eyes passed over the new men and he stopped. He glanced coldly at George and then at Lenny. His arms gradually bent at the elbows and his hands closed into fists. He stiffened and went into a slight crouch. His glance was at once calculating and pugnacious. Lenny squirmed under the look and shifted his feet nervously. Curly stepped gingerly close to them. You the new guys the old man was waiting for? They just come, said George. Let the big guy talk. 
Then he twisted with embarrassment. George said, suppose he don't want to talk. Curly lashed his body around. By Christ, he's got to talk when he spoke to. What the hell are you getting into it for? We travel together, said George coldly. Oh, so it's that way. George was tense and motionless. Yeah, it's that way. Lenny was looking helplessly to George for instruction. And you'll let the big guy talk, is that it? He can talk if he wants to tell you anything. He nodded slightly to Lenny. We just come in, said Lenny softly. Curly stared levelly at him. Well, next time you answer when you spoke to. He turned towards the door and walked out and his elbows were still bent out a little. It's Curly! What a jerk he is! Right, and uh, body language. Remember I said about entrances? The boss stands framed in the door, standing there, showing his authority, demanding their attention. Curly comes charging in, full of energy. The only thing that's mentioned about his clothing is that he wears the boots like his dad, like to show he's got authority. Yeah, yeah. When I was a training teacher, I was sent to one of the toughest schools in Liverpool. And I grew a beard, a big beard, because I thought it would make me look older and have more authority. It didn't actually meant I had any more authority. It just I just wanted to give that impression. Um, Curly, well, does he actually have the respect of the others? Or does he need to do things like wear the boots to show that he's in charge? Do you see what I mean? Has he actually got authority? He's very aggressive. He's unpleasant. And it's the way he behaves, he meets strangers. Now, it's, I'm saying about people being self-obsessed. What a way to greet strangers. He, he weighs them up. He looks at them as if he's weighing up. Weighing them up, not like greeting them. And then his arms bend and his fists go into, his hands go into fists. He starts crouching a bit. He's getting into his boxing stance. I've never looked more like Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> he's getting into his boxing stance. Man. That's, he's a psychopath. <laughs> That's mad, isn't it? He's aggressive. He's straight in Lenny's face straight away. George is quite cool the way he handles him, isn't he? So Curly's gone. George watched him out, and then he turned back to the swamper. Say, what the hell's he got on his shoulder? Lenny didn't do anything, nothing to him. The old man looked cautiously at the door to make sure no one was listening. That's the boss's son, he said quietly. Quietly, don't want him to, eh? Curly's pretty handy. He's done quite a bit in the ring. He's a lightweight. He's handy. Well, let him be handy, said George. He doesn't have to take after Lenny. Lenny didn't do nothing to him. What's he got against Lenny? The swamper considered. Well, tell you what. Curly's like a lot of little guys. He hates big guys. He's all the time picking scraps with big guys. Kind of like he's mad at him because he ain't a big guy. You've seen little guys like that, ain't you? Always scrappy. Sure, said George. I've seen plenty tough little guys. But this Curly better not make no mistakes about Lenny. Lenny ain't handy, but this Curly punk's going to get hurt if he messes around with Lenny. Well, Curly's pretty handy, the Swamper said skeptically. Never did seem right to me. Suppose Curly jumps a big guy and licks him. Everybody says what a game guy Curly is. Suppose he does the same thing and gets licked. Nobody says the big guy ought to pick somebody his own size. And maybe they gang up on the big guy. Never did seem right to me. Seems like Curly ain't giving nobody a chance. <clears throat> George was watching the door. He said ominously, Well, he better watch out for Lenny. Lenny ain't no fighter, but Lenny's strong and quick, and Lenny don't know no rules. He walked to the square table and sat down on one of the boxes. He gathered some of the cards together and shuffled them. So, yeah, 
Curry's got, as they say, a chip on his shoulder. He's small, he's aggressive, he wants to prove himself by beating up big guys. Um, he's... Oh, I forgot what I was going to say then. What I was going to say? Um, and as he says, he picks his fights carefully. If he fights a big guy and wins, he's a hero. If he fights a big guy and loses, the big guy looks bad for bullying the little guy. So he's, he's calculating, isn't he? Knows what he's doing. The old man sat down on another box. Don't tell Curly you said none of this. He'd slap me. He just don't give a damn. Won't ever get canned because his old man's the boss. George cut the cards and began turning them over, looking at each one and throwing it down on a pile. He said, This guy Curly sounds like a son of a bitch to me. I don't like mean little guys. Seems to be like he's worse lately, said the swamper. He got married a couple weeks ago. Wife lives over on her boss's house. Seems like Curly's cockier than ever since he got married. George grunted. Maybe he's showing off for his wife. The swamper warmed to his gossip. Seen that glove on his left hand? Yeah, I seen it. Well, that glove's full of Vaseline. Vaseline? What the hell for? Well, I'll tell you what. Curly says he's keeping that hand soft for his wife. George studied the cards absorbedly. That's a dirty thing to tell around, he said. The old man was reassured. He'd drawn a derogatory statement from George. He felt safe now. And thus, banter was invented. So, yeah. He's keeping his hands soft for his wife. Mm. And so because of that, you know, saying that, and George saying, you filthy old man, Candy feels comfortable now. George has insulted him a bit. The banter begins. Their friendship's more real, and Candy feels confident enough to sort of talk in a friendly trustful manner to each other. <coughs> Candy's felt safe now and spoke more confidently. Wait till you see Curly's wife. George cut the cards again and put out a solitaire lay, slowly and deliberately. Purdy? He asked casually. Yeah, pretty, but... George studied his cards. But what? Well, she got the eye. Yeah? Married two weeks and got the eye? Maybe that's why Curly's pants is full of ants. I've seen her give Slim the eye. Slim's a jerkland skinner. Hell of a nice fella. Slim don't need to wear no high-heeled boots on a green team. I've seen her give Slim the eye. Curly never seen it. And I've seen her give Carlson the eye. George pretended a lack of interest. Looks like we're going to have fun. <clears throat> Swamper stood up from his box. Know what I think? George didn't answer. Well, I think Curly's married a tart. You ain't the first, said George. There's plenty done that. <coughs> okay. Oh, it's a splashed water onto my face. Our first mention of Curly's wife. Um, important things to understand, even before we meet her. They call her Curly's wife. They don't call her by her name. <coughs> Sorry. Throat's giving out here. And... That's an indication of how they view her. So sexism in the book. We never learn her name. Because no one ever calls her that. So we're talking about names for giving respect. <clears throat> no one can be bothered to give her the respect of saying her name. Um, also, immediately, what do we find out about her? She's a tart. She's flirting. She's giving guys the eye. She's looking around at all the men. Um... Immediate sexist judgment, a woman who looks at other men is a tart. 
And we'll see this throughout and look out for the words that are used to describe her throughout because she is objectified and referred to in a very sexist way. <clears throat> objectified? Well, look, Curly's wife. Yeah? Apostrophe S, come on. Angry Grammar Man fans, apostrophe S. Apostrophe of possession. Curly owns his wife. That's how he's, she's seen. She's defined by who she's married in the eyes of the men. So lots of sexist points about Curly's wife. Before we've even met her, there'll be plenty more to come, I assure you. I will grant you, she does seem to be flirtatious with the men and she's not long married. I'm not saying that's great, but there are other situations and circumstances which we'll understand later on. I was distracted, uh, by the way, <laughs> a little bit back by, um, by seeing a message. Hi, Lisa. <laughs> it's very good to hear from you. And yes, the fruit tea bags on the ceiling. I better not mention that to the, the, the boss now, I'm telling you, just in case I bring it back. Oh, some good qualities coming up here. Uh, comments. I might read another page or so, but as you can hear, my throat's coming out. I was intending to read a tiny bit more than this. But, okay, yeah, probably. I'll do one more page, I think. <clears throat> the old man moved towards the door, and his ancient dog lifted his head and peered about, and then got painfully to his feet to fall. I've got to be setting out to wash basins for the guys. The teams will be in before long. You guys going to book barley? Yeah. You won't tell Curly nothing I said? Hell no. Will you look her over, mister? You see if he, she ain't a tart. He stepped out the door into the brilliant sunshine. And more racist language in this paragraph, I apologise. George laid his cards thoughtfully, turned his piles of three. He built four clubs on his ace pile. The sun square was on the floor now, and the flies whipped through it like sparks. The sound of jingling harness and the croak of heavy-laden axles sounded from outside. From the distance came a clear call. Stable buck! Oh, stable buck! And then, where the hell is that goddamn nigger? George stared at his solitaire lay. Then he flounced the cards together and turned around to Lenny. Lenny was lying down on the bunk watching him. Look, Lenny, this here ain't no setup. I'm scared. You're gonna have trouble with that curly guy. I've seen that can before. He was kind of feeling you out. He figures he's got you scared and he's gonna take a sock at you the first chance he gets. Lenny's eyes were frightened. I don't want no trouble, he said plaintively. Don't let him sock me, George. George got up and went over to Lenny's bunk and sat down on it. I hate that kind of bastard, he said. I've seen plenty of them. Like the old guy says, Curly don't take no chances. He always wins. He thought for a moment. If he tangles with you, Lenny, we're going to get the can. Make no mistake about that. He's the boss's son. Look, Lenny, you try to keep away from him, will you? Don't never speak to him. If he comes in here, you move clear the other side of the room. Will you do that, Lenny? I, I don't want no trouble, Lenny mourned. I never done nothing to him. Well, that won't do you no good if Curly wants to plug himself up for a fighter. Just don't have nothing to do with him, will you remember? Sure, George, I, I ain't going to say a word. Sound of the approaching grain teams was louder. Thud of big hooves on hard ground. Drag of brakes and the jingle of trace chains. Men were calling back and forth from the teams. George, sitting on the bunk beside Lenny, frowned as he thought. Lenny asked timidly, You ain't mad, George. I ain't mad at you. I met at this here curly bastard. I hope we was going to get a little steak together. Maybe a hundred dollars. His tone grew decisive. You keep away from curly, Lenny. Sure I will, George. I, I won't say a word. Don't let him pull you in, but 
If the son of a bitch socks you, let him have it. Let him have what, George? Never mind, never mind. I'll tell you when. I hate that kind of guy. Look, Lenny, if you get in any trouble, you remember what I told you to do? Lenny raised up his elbow, his face contorted with thought. Then his eyes moved sadly to George's face. If I get in any trouble, you ain't going to let me tend the rabbits. It's not what I meant. You remember where we slept last night down by the river? Yeah, I remember. Oh, sure, I remember. I, I, I go there and hide in the brush. Hide till I come for you. Don't let nobody see you. Hide in the brush by the river. Say that over. Hide, hide in the brush by the river. Down, down in the brush by the river. If you get in trouble. If I get in trouble. A brake screeched outside. A call came. Stable buck. Oh, stable buck. George said. See her over to yourself, Lenny. So you won't forget it. I'm going to stop there, because the next bit's let Curly's wife coming in. I have scarred so many generations of pupils by reading the bit where Curly's wife comes in. That feels like a good point to start off with. Oh, man. Okay, let's have a squiz. Uh, comments. Boop, 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 boop. Pardon me just a second. Uh, ha, ha, ha. Right. Da, 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 da. Right. Hi, Dominique. <laughs> well done, Ruben. Listening for those notes. Uh, Kyle's enjoyed our beautiful tune. Copyright free. Unlike everything else I do. Um, sure. Yeah, we've addressed David's really good point. Ruben and Kyle did as well about use of last names. Names are important. Um, do we learn, Ruben, do we learn Slim's first name? Slim's his nickname, so no, no. Um, I'm just trying to think. No, all the names, there's, there's, yeah, you never learn any full names as such, apart from George Milton, Lenny Small. Um, do, 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 do. <laughs> and then Ruben's talking about sexism. That's a good point. That it was still in the times of a patriarchal society, um, so therefore men didn't see women in the, how men see women now. I wish I fully agreed with you, Ruben. There's still a hell of a lot of sexist attitudes out there, mate. I'm telling you, sadly, just like racism hasn't gone away. More people are sensible now, but sadly not enough. Um, but yes, in terms of answering the question on this, the attitude towards women, yeah, is very clear. The only women, she's the only female in the whole book, for a start. It's a very male environment and nearly and very dangerous environment as well. And the only other mention of women is Aunt Clara, who is a sort of dream figure, but is dead. And she is like a sort of, she's a sort of cliched sexist, um, sort of matriarch figure, isn't she? You know, the sort of mummy looking after people. Um, and she's sort of romanticised because she's gone. And prostitutes. There's quite a few mentions of prostitutes in this. We'll get to that tomorrow. Um, Okie dokie. Okay, Bernadette was saying, who's the actual boss? Right, sorry, apologize. The boss is the boss, as Dylan says, the boss character. And then as Dylan said, the boss's son is second in command. Yes, absolutely correct. Um, it's, yeah, the, the Curly is the son of the boss. He feels to me like a jumped up little twit. My wife used to be an English teacher. She's over there. Emma! Curly, in, in Of Mice and Men. He's a jerk, isn't he? Yeah. And would you, would you say he lacks all... You know, the boss has a sense of authority. Curly probably is, as who was it Dylan is saying, second in command. 
but he, he lacks authority, I think, doesn't he? Yeah. Have you met Slim yet? He's not, not quite yet. No, he seems more like a yeah, that's true. That's a, that's a good point. So Slim has authority, he's earned authority. Um, and yet, yeah, strictly speaking, I suppose, Curly will be seen as the one who's next in command or next to run the farm and the boss jacks are in. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. Nice one. <laughs> ah, let's see what else are things we've said. There you go, specialist interventions there. 